and a warm welcome to the latest edition of Conversations in Drug Development, brought to you by the team at Boyd's. This podcast is for our fellow community of scientists and clinicians working in the wonderful world of cell and gene therapy and drug development. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. My name is Dr. Julie Warner, Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at Boyd's, and I'm your podcast host for today's episode. We're going to be looking at regulatory affairs and in particular a specific field, looking at the emerging scope of AI in drug development. I'm joined today by Harriet Edwards. Associate Director, Regulatory Affairs here at Boyd's. Welcome, Harriet, joining us today. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm really quite excited about this podcast Mm, because... Me too. I think this is going to be a little bit different to ones we've done previously because we've been talking about things that are very concrete (laughs) for the most part in other podcasts and uh, when we think about artificial intelligence we are nowhere in that space. Absolutely I think uh, regulation is typically very static and as we see with sort of new and emerging fields of cell therapy gene therapy and and other types of drug discovery we are moving increasingly away from that static area of, of regulation and AI could not be a better candidate for how um, sort of open-ended regulation is right now. So um, yeah, really excited to be talking to you today about that. So I think it's really important just to set the scene here as well. So the, the scope for this is very much more of a theoretical discussion and yes. a consideration <laughs> of some of the possible utility of AI in drug development and looking at current regulatory trends and where the regulatory framework exists or doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and what its limitations might be and then thinking ahead to the future what might drug developers need to do if they want to use AI in the future Um, and then also having a look at perhaps where it is already being used and and some examples of that so um, maybe that's where we can start so maybe you could just summarize for us Harriet how is AI currently being used in, in drug development? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, actually, and a really good place to start. I think before I answer that, it's um, it's kind of important to say that I think most people listening into the podcast will be familiar with the terminology of, of AI, artificial intelligence, across some path of uh, of their life. They will have come across this topic already. It's certainly being discussed in the, the mainstream media a lot, we know, and it's increasingly becoming pivotal in drug discovery and, and drug development. So um, 2023 and actually the back end of 2022 are becoming uh, sort of synonymous with the introduction of artificial intelligence into the field of drug development. When we think about how AI is used within the the drug discovery sort of area, it can be used in various different forms. And and we've seen that. And I think there's scope for AI to be used even more in in different areas, different phases of development as well. It could be as simple or as sort of restricted to a particular area of development as perhaps um, part of the manufacturing process. So when we think about CMC development, we may utilize an AI platform or a software technology that analyzes data for us. So perhaps maybe um, mass spectrometry data being analyzed by a computer model rather than manually by humans, that saves an awful lot of time. Or it could be as involved as we are increasingly seeing in drug discovery as sort of a replacement or even a a reduction in the need for things such as animal models in non-clinical development. So we could use AI predictive supercomputers or software or platform technologies that actually predict 
toxicity of molecules or even help to identify uh, potentially new molecules that can then be taken forward from candidate selection onwards into development. I, th- I think a couple of those points are really valid, aren't they? I and mean, when we think about reducing the use of animals in research, the th- principles of the three R's and we've always been trying to head that way but sometimes it's unavoidable so I think the potential for AI if we can get it right to to help with that is phenomenal isn't it? Absolutely and it it is something that is so topical and if AI can help as you said it's something that is only going to improve the sort of non-clinical development process but There is a huge caveat there around getting it right. And I I guess we'll come on to that a bit later. Yeah, (laughs) I think another important point for me is, you know, when when we think about how some of the AI platforms could be used, as you said, a lot of it is in the kind of drug development and Mm. discovery space as well. So many of us in the pharmaceutical industry are used to having a biology background and a biology (laughs) approach. And and do you think the the skills profile might change of... I mean, I think I think it will have to. Absolutely. And I think um, I'm sitting here as somebody that's a a pharmacologist by training. So I certainly am not a computer scientist. But I think there are um, definite niches where those people that are actually more adept to software development and a, a background in computational chemistry or biology would actually benefit hugely. And we're seeing that actually. So the the big pharma companies are not necessarily changing their skill set. They're not necessarily introducing new people into the workforce on a permanent basis, although I do think that will actually happen in due course. What they're actually doing is collaborating with these niche startup companies um, Mm -hmm. that are developing the AI software. So you see either sort of in licensing or acquisitions um, of these companies that have that particular skill set and that particular expertise. And we've seen that quite a lot uh, recently over the last couple of years with um, some of the you know real big pharma names we're talking Pfizer, Sanofi, AstraZeneca, um, Takeda just to name a few who are publicly telling people that they are starting to utilize this technology so obviously you can imagine there's going to be plenty more behind the scenes that maybe aren't talking about it yet that are looking to utilize this technology so for sure there'll be um, a requirement for people that are good with uh, software developing validation and and verification to be able to use this technology properly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the potential value for the larger companies in terms of just buying in that pipeline is is really interesting because Mm. and it, it could tick a lot of boxes, I think, because if we can expedite efficacious and safe drugs get into patients then I presume what price do you put on that I don't know, how, have we got any examples of yeah. how that's happened? <laughs> I mean it's a really difficult one to put a price tag on but what I can tell you is there's certainly big money being paid for this AI technology and, and, and companies investing big already and, and that's only going to, to grow so um, an example that I can think of off the top of my head uh, a recent one is as I mentioned before, Takeda, the um, the Japanese pharma giant, I'm sure everyone's familiar with, have recently acquired, I think it was February 2023, recently acquired a US-based biotech company called Nimbus. And they are developing a uh, an AI software that's based on co- computational chemistry, it's called. And basically what it does is uh, sort of identifies active sites of protein-based molecules uh, to, to find the next best molecule in its library of screening. So we're thinking really about candidate selection here and how to improve candidate selection, uh, improve efficiency of of candidate selection by finding a molecule that fits the correct binding site for whatever the, the 
AI computer software is looking for, whatever parameters it's selected, and also potentially able to improve selectivity and binding as well. And this is for this game with a hefty price tag, I should say. So Takeda paid $4 billion US dollars back in February, so huge amount, with a potential additional uh, $2 billion coming as well if um, if a certain milestone is hit. So, And that's for a small molecule protein-based company. So, you know, huge money. That is quite significant, especially in the current economic climate as well, when we know that there are several companies, well, many companies out there struggling to obtain funding. That is a, a phenomenal amount. But yeah, probably reflective of the the time and effort that's gone into development and how quickly yeah. something might be able to be progressed. Absolutely. And the, the time and cost savings that these, the introduction of, of AI software could actually um, you know, introduce, that's going to be worth a lot of money. And just thinking about another potential example of that, there's a, um, a company called Insilico, quite aptly named for an AI company. I'm sure that wasn't by mistake. <laughs> um, but they're a, a first, the first company, or so they are billed, I'm sure... Um, there may be other examples, but the first company to take a drug developed using AI technology to phase two clinical trials. Um, so that's, that's quite recent as well. But Insilico mentioned in their press releases and, and statements that actually there was a huge cost and time saving by using this AI generative software. So they estimated that using the AI to identify the candidate. So this is, again, for candidate discovery, so really early in development. But they estimated that there was a a tenth of the time that went into development and a third of the cost. So that's quite significant, isn't it? It, It's huge. Um, And they actually noted that they took their, uh, I think it was for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, the the candidate that they selected and what they're looking to to treat. Um, They took it from target discovery into phase one in less than 30 months, which, you know, that's going to come with a huge price tag. And it, it actually could change the face of development as we know it today. Of course, and yeah, and the option for patients to obviously get access to a potential, potentially efficacious treatment much more quickly, which is great. Yeah. Um, so if these products are now starting to come through into the clinic, how how is the regulatory framework set up to support that transition? Yeah, it's a, a, it's a really difficult question to answer, and I, I certainly don't envy the regulators at, at this point in uh, where we find ourselves in pharmaceutical development and, and drug discovery, where things, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, where things have have historically been very static and fixed and prescriptive in terms of regulation. We are now finding ourselves in an unprecedented era. I mean, that was true certainly for advanced therapies and, and the introduction of gene therapies. And as we go on to talk about more complex gene therapies, such as genome editing technologies and, and all of that good stuff, there is a real move to a need for pragmatic regulation and sort of the regulators learning alongside the developers developing. So there is this real need for a collaborative approach. And I think when we got to the technology of genome editing, we probably thought it couldn't get more complicated than that. And now we've introduced AI into the mix as well. <laughs> um, so there really isn't anything fixed at the moment. And I, I don't think there can be, you know, when we've talked about examples of AI being used across drug discovery today, we've mentioned, you know, so many different areas. And um, it's really difficult for a regulator to, to pin down one set of frameworks that actually fits all of those things, whilst we are still learning about the, um, the evolution of AI. So 
there isn't anything concrete at the moment, which does make it very difficult for developers. But the regulators are aware of how much of a hot topic this is and you know how important it is going to be in the future. So there are a few reflection papers. EMA and FDA have both introduced uh, reflection papers, concept papers, and are actively encouraging discussion with developers, which I think is really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think it's interesting to note when you look at some of the content of those reflection and discussion papers, it's clear that the agencies have seen some products come through, but they're also aware of what they don't know. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's an interesting, um, especially with the FDA uh, discussion paper, I think it's very interesting that theirs is written very much from a, an outreach perspective, isn't mm. it? They are actively it- encouraging that dialogue yeah, with absolutely. developers. I think it's a bit of a, a, a call to action as well. Mm. You know, regulation can only be as good as, uh, like these AI technologies, the AI software is only as good as the data that's input into it. And it can only learn from the data sources that the developers provide. And it's similar to some extent with regulation. You know, the regulators can only regulate what they know. And so there is a real call to action for developers to help with the creation of regulation that works first and foremost, and make sure the patients are ultimately safe and the the products are effective, but also a framework that's workable for the developers so there aren't any unnecessary hurdles as well. Um, I think the FDA mentioned in that discussion paper that they had seen more than 100 submissions that incorporated AI, whether that was, you know, full use of uh, supercomputers or software or platform technology or something more simpler like the machine-based learning. But still, that's quite a significant amount already to be going through the regulatory process without any real guidance or framework to support it. Yeah, and I'm interested in the analogy with the genome editing and where things are with that. And obviously, you know a lot about that area yeah. as well, because you're just about to start your PhD on, on that area. And yeah. this it's a similar level of kind of absence of specific regulation, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that's a, a topic for a future podcast, I think, because we could talk for a long time about genome editing but we will um we will stick with ai for now <laughs> i think we've probably got enough to cover yes with that, absolutely <laughs> so, so in terms of the future what do you what do you think the future looks like uh, for developers in this space yeah i think uh, it's only growing and of course as we mentioned at the start of the podcast this is very much speculative and i don't think anyone can really sort of best guess uh, is the best that we can do i don't think anyone can confidently predict how ai is going to explode but we do know that it's likely to be an exponential growth over coming years. In 2022, the market for drug discovery using AI was already worth 1.1 billion. Um, And when we think about the the example that I've just provided about the Takeda acquisition mm. that was acquiring Nimbus for four billion, you know, we're looking at a huge increase. There's an estimation that by 2030 that market share will be increased by at least 30%. So it's not going anywhere. I think is uh, is fair to say. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, like you say, the the potential for it to expand into other more complex product types is mm. a really interesting space to watch. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye yes, on it. Yes, absolutely. I'll be sure to update everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's, it's really great to hear about the successes um, and, and that products are coming through that pipeline and into the making it making their way into the clinic and, you know, kind of mid-stage clinical development, which is fantastic. But what, what do you think are the challenges for when we think about regulation and um, putting some kind of framework around AI platform drugs? I think it's multifactorial, 
actually. And I think um, regulation has to come from both sides, um, which is an unusual thing to say. Typically, we would expect regulators to be in charge of, of regulation. But I do think there is a huge onus on developers of both the AI software and also uh, drug developers who are utilising the AI software to um, to have some level of regulation around the, the use of it. So the first thing to note is, is certainly that the AI technology, whatever that may be, can only be as good as the data that is used to train it. So currently, um, AI technology may utilise X amount of data sets in order to then go on and predict future, um, whether that be future targets for discovery, um, toxicity levels of, of potential drugs, whatever it may be, it can only be as good as the data that it has to begin with. That's becoming you know, better as more data sets and sources are becoming available for the AI to be, you know, inputted into. Um, and there is definitely some refinement that's needed. But, you know, there's there's just so much to learn before we can confidently utilise AI. And I think where we are using it at the moment and we are seeing benefits, they certainly need to be interpreted with great caution. And note that there are great benefits, but there are also risks with AI as well. And, and everybody needs to be aware of those. Absolutely. And in terms of, we talked a bit about the utility of AI in the drug development process. How about Mm. when it comes to kind of document preparation? Do you think, I know we could probably do a separate podcast about this again? (laughs) As you said, the the use of AI is so multifactorial across different areas of drug development. And that extends, of course, to documentation prep as well. And while I was researching this, I found actually a, a paper that was written about the use of AI in drug discovery. And it was actually written by human authors, you'll be pleased to know, but they initiated it with an AI-based technology and it was actually um, ChatGPT, which I'm sure most people are familiar with now. And um, they asked it a particular question and it wrote this whole article around the use of AI in drug discovery. And actually, when it came to be reviewed and edited by the human authors, only 4.3% of the initial language was used verbatim in that article. And I think it was only something like 13.1% was used as similar wording. So, you know, that's a huge proportion of words that were actually not quite right or not in the right order or the arguments weren't presented as the human authors intended so that we were actually changed. So if that's the case for a document, you know, what's what's going to happen when you use this information and this, this technology to predict safety of, of drug molecules going forward? Absolutely. And I I think um, some of these points are reflected in at least the EMA reflection paper where they talk about close human supervision, don't they, for (laughs) for documentation that's been prepared using AI platforms. And I think anybody who's worked with other human beings developing regulatory messaging or written an SMPC knows about how much time and effort we put into those small nuances, those grey areas to whether you know particular language that we use to quantify effects and you know what the pros and cons of certain words are versus other things as well so i think it's it's really interesting yeah absolutely and and that's the bit that i think is quite hard for ai so although um artificial intelligence has the potential to be in, i think in the realms of billions of um of times smarter than humans mm-hmm. i think i think there are some elements that you know simply can't be solved by a binary output and that's ultimately what the ai will be you know it's a, a computational model or um software that is 
based on on binary output. So the nuance is the grey area of regulation, as I'm sure most regulatory professionals will agree, is is really the key to um, success. And I'm not sure there is a a complete worry about our jobs <laughs> um, being taken over by AI in the future because of that very reason. So um, regulation is going to be going to be a, a challenge for sure. Yeah, I think thinking about those those grey areas and that interpretation and that nuance, I, I do wonder. I wonder what would happen if we asked an AI platform <laughs> how we should regulate AI and drug development. Yeah, it, well, it's funny you say that, actually, because I did ask um, ChatGPT <laughs> how um, drugs developed using artificial intelligence should be regulated. Um, and similar to the example that I provided around the article that was written, actually, um, the output of ChatGPT, GPT, sorry, um, the output of that, I'm sure everyone can go and, and research this for yourselves, um, but it was very vague, it was very generic, the response could be applicable to any particular um, part of drug development development using any anything so not necessarily artificial intelligence and so it wasn't particularly helpful I think it, it gave maybe some good starting points but it was certainly directing you in the case of uh, thinking about ethical considerations or make sure your data is validated and audited but there wasn't really anything more than that and I think in order to develop regulation for something so specific as this, it's quite clear at the moment that ChatGPT is is not going to be able to do that for us. That's that is certainly going to be a human job, at least for the foreseeable future. So I think we're safe for now. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. <laughs> so I think we're, so it's, there's so many things to consider here, and I, we could it's obviously going to change quite a lot in very quickly. Yes, it's, it, given the pace of evolution so far, it's going to change very quickly. Do you do you think we're we're future proofed enough in terms of you know is it are we likely to see many successes coming out of using AI and drug development? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is certainly not supposed to be a negative um, opinion whatsoever. I think um, that there's a balanced opinion to have on AI right now. There are huge potentials with the use of AI in drug discovery. And, you know, some of those time savings and cost savings that we talked about earlier, efficiency getting products to market quicker can only be a good thing provided that they are safe and, and effective and supported by appropriate data. But there are also some negatives or potential negatives, I should say, with, with using AI. And the way that data may be generated that could be misleading or there could be, um, you know, positive or negative bias, actually, as we said, mm. data is only the output of the AI is only as good as the input of the data that goes into it to start with. There are potential issues with that. And there are some examples of, of drugs where they have been developed using AI. There's uh, there's one recently where it's, I think it was Sumitomo, another Japanese pharmaceutical company in partnership with um, a US-based psychogenics and they developed an AI-generated drug for schizophrenia, and it was really promising. And it went all the way through to looking as though it was getting to phase three and unfortunately failed at that point because it didn't outperform the placebo. Now, one could argue that there are huge attrition rates between phase two and phase three anyway, so you couldn't necessarily just blame AI, but it is interesting to know that there is still this failure rate when AI is potentially billed as something that's going to be the saviour of um, of drug development and, and help us moving forward. It might not always be the case, actually. 
Yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting example. And I think obviously as more of these products progress to later stage clinical development, we'll just have to watch this space. But I think it's been a really fascinating <laughs> discussion today. So clearly something that's going to evolve hugely over time and we're going to keep Definitely. a close eye on it. But thanks ever so much, Harriet. That's been really a really interesting discussion. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Drug Development, the podcast series brought to you by the team at Boyd's. Don't forget to follow us on the usual podcast platforms or visit our website to ensure you don't miss out on any of our future episodes.